the outline in front of you should say when people look down on us, when people look down on us. This morning we are continuing our series in the Psalms of Ascent. And these were Psalms which, or songs which were sung by Jewish pilgrims as they went up to Jerusalem. This would have happened uh, before the exile, they went into exile in Babylon, and of course after they returned. As we've been emphasizing as we've been going through these, uh, these Psalms, is that the common theme of these songs is that the people of God loved God and the city of God, Jerusalem, even as they faced danger in the world. Now today, we are in Psalm 123. And the key message of this psalm is that when people look down on us, right, we must look up to the mercy and care of our God alone. When people look down on us, we must look up to the mercy and care of our God alone. Look with me at verse 1 to 3 of Psalm 123. It says this, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid servant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. We pause there. We notice that the psalmist starts by calling on God for help. He is dialing 999 to the throne of grace. What is the emergency? Well, the emergency, we, we, we find out as we read on verse 3, isn't it? For we have had, he says, have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more, had had enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. It seems here that someone is looking down on the people of God. They are treating them with contempt and with scorn. Those are the two words used there in verse 3. Enough of contempt, again in verse 4, enough of contempt of the proud, and again there in verse 4, the scorn of those who are at ease. So somebody is looking at them with scorn, uh, with contempt and scorn. They are treating them like they are less than human. Contempt says, you are not like us. You do not belong here. What is she doing in this area? In this job, in this school, with that responsibility, in this family, in this marriage, in this country, the list goes on, doesn't it? That's contempt. Scorn is contempt in action. If contempt is people's attitude to us, scorn is the activity that goes with it. It is the shaming people unleash on us. Scorn gives us demeaning names, doesn't it? Covidiots, deplorables, loose cannons, hypocrites, uneducated, anti-science, non-essential. Scorn lets us know by 
words or action that other people hold us in contempt. And this is what Israel is going through here. Their enemies are looking down on them because, you see, Israel does not have as much comfort and luxury in life as those people do. Look at this for carefully there. He says, our soul has had enough, has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. The people of Israel are being tormented by those who are at ease. What does that mean? Where the phrase speaks of comfort, prosperity. Their enemies are living large. People usually look down on us because they have what we don't have. They are rich, well-connected, married, we are not. They have smart kids, we are struggling with our kids. They are going places, literally, with perhaps a health passport already secured. We, can, we haven't got one yet, not only for us, right? People look down on us for those things, material things. Sometimes people look down on us, not because of material things as such. Well, certainly not because of things they have accumulated, because of their hard work. They look down on us because they don't like our God-given characteristics. They don't like just how you look. You are not as beautiful as them. They don't like your race. They don't like your age. Often the elderly are looked down upon by young people because they, they perhaps they are not up to date. Sometimes we see people being looked down on because um, of gender. So there is those human on human look downs. For many reasons. Well, the looking down in this psalm is not only the human on human disdain, look carefully, it is also about enemies of God looking down on God Himself and His people. Look again at verse 4. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. You know, we should understand the word proud here. And not just in terms of human pride. You know, I am better than you. Or I drive a better Ferrari than you do. Right? Their pride here is really a crooked heart that enthrones itself on prosperity. They have a heart bent in on itself rather than bending outward to God. You see, people who enthrone themselves in things of this world have no care for the one enthroned in the heavens. That's what the psalmist is getting at. And because they don't care about him, they don't care about his people here on earth. They don't care about heaven. So they don't care about God's people here on earth. They look down on them. They are looking down on God's people because they are looking down on God himself. And it seems this has been going on for some time, hasn't it? Because notice in verse 3 and 4. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Again in verse 4. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease. It's been going on for a while for God's people. Now, we do not know when the events of this psalm took place. 
And many people think this psalm was written by the great Nehemiah. It seems to fit, doesn't it? The scorn and ridicule that he endured when he was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. But, uh, but uh, as we've said with other psalms of ascent, you can see the, some of the prophets in the Old Testament experiencing this. Indeed, David's own life, he experienced such scorn and mockery. So we don't have to fit it to one particular historical situation. In fact, it's probably better, isn't it? Because most, as I say, of God's people in the Old Testament were given the slap in the face by the enemies of God. And the world has not changed since this psalm was written. We are the people of God today. The new Jerusalem. The gathered assembly of God's elect. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. His new covenant people through the blood of the Lamb. We are the church. And just as Israel endured the look down, we also endure, must endure, the world looking down on us. The world looks down on us as human beings and it looks down on us, especially as followers of Jesus. So the question I want us to ask and answer from this psalm this morning is, how should we respond when the world looks down on us? Well, this psalm just give, gives us two practical instructions that are in front of you on your outline. Just two. First, the psalm teaches us that when the world looks down on us, we must look up to God alone. We must look up to God alone. That's the first truth we learn here. You see, when people look down on us, we often feel violated, right? Trampled on, disregarded, rejected. We feel our dignity stripped from us. And we may even start feeling ashamed. We start taking on the identity of the disgraced because we are being treated as if we are less than human. And when it dawns on us, there are two ways we react. Our instinct, one way is for our instinct to give in to anger and bitterness. And find a way for us to look down in revenge. You know, when somebody says a nasty word at you at school, your instinct is to say a nasty word back. To look down on them in return. We are tempted to get even. So there's that temptation. The other temptation is when people look down on us is we look inwards. We withdraw to ourselves. We start going through the issues. The tape starts playing in our mind, isn't it? Maybe I should become better. Maybe I need to move up the social ladder. Maybe I should join their clique and fit in. We become self-focused. We start looking at us. And this pressure, of course, is especially strong on everyone, of course on everyone, but uh, as I thought about my own life, I realized that this pressure perhaps is very strong on when we are growing up and we are in school, especially the young people around us. Taking a stand for Jesus in secondary school or university is very painful indeed, isn't it? Some of you I know have experienced the pain of being in a class and being looked down on. You don't want to be the weird one in the class who believes that God created you and you are living in a way that honors God in every area. 
Friends sneer at that. If you're a young boy in the class, you want a girlfriend. You want pornography stories to share with others. I'm just tracking back to when I was, a, when I was young. You're rich. The same pressures are there if you're a girl, same pressures. And of course, when the peer pressure hits up, many young people do what? They lose interest in things of God. They choose to fit in. And they turn their backs on the parents' instruction. And of course, most importantly, they tend to turn their backs on Jesus. That's the world. This is one area. Well, whether we are young or old, the psalmist here encourages us to reject retaliation and looking inwards. Instead, he says, he, he, he encourages us here to look directly to the one true God alone. Because of who God is. Look at this one. That's what he does. He says, to you, not to the world, not inside, to you, O Lord, I lift up my eyes. All you who are enthroned in the heavens, he says. He's saying to God, look, I am praying to you alone for help because you are the only one. You are the only king of the universe. This is your world. My life is not my own. It is your, it's, it belongs to you. So I'm coming to you for help. But he's saying more than that here. He's not just acknowledging that God is sovereign, is ruler over all. He's saying something even deeper than that. He's saying, you are not just the boss of everyone. You and us, us, Israel, have a special unbreakable relationship. Look at verse 2. He says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the end of their master, as the eyes of a maid servant to the end of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. You know, if you have a boss at work uh, who is a close friend and you are being bullied, by a colleague. Would you waste your time answering back the bully? No, you just simply go to, to your friend, wouldn't you? You'd want to be careful, of course, that you're not taking advantage of your friend, right? Like every time you've got a little problem, you run to your friend. You know, no friend wants that, right? So you want to be careful about that. But you still go to them, wouldn't you? For immediate help. Why waste time on the bully when my friend is my boss? But what more, friends, if your boss happens to be your husband? Well, you'd go to him by instinct, without thinking. And that is the relationship the psalmist is describing here when he says in verse 2, Our eyes look to the Lord our God. The word Lord, as I keep reminding us in, this, in these psalms, is in capital letters, right? And that is because it is a personal name of the one true God of Israel, Yahweh. The relationship between God and Israel is that of a husband and his wife. God is their covenant husband. And he has established this marriage covenant, really. And when he chose Abraham as his engine, if you like, to, 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 to create a new people. And he burned himself through uh, not only the covenant with Abraham, but also the Sinai covenant, and of course later on the covenant with David. 
So these are God's people and God is bound to them and they are bound to him in this unbreakable covenant. And so when the psalmist says here, our eyes look to the Lord, our God, he is saying to God, how can we waste time looking down at our enemies? How can we waste time looking inside ourselves for help when we have you? Why should I be running outside the house to seek help when my father is here? When my mother is here? That's how deep the relationship is. And the psalmist, to convey this deep relationship, the psalmist uses two visual illustrations in his prayer to remind God and all the pilgrims praying this psalm of just how special their relationship is to God. Look at verse 2. First of all, he says God is their master and they are his servants. Look at verse 2. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master. So our eyes, he says later on, look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. God is the master they are his servants. Now, at this time in history, if some other versions who say God is the master and they are slaves. See, at this time in history, the master really owned his servants. The, the, the household belonged to him. He was responsible for them. He feeds them and clothes them. He protects them from danger. He is their keeper, Psalm 121. Their guardian. Is the one who corrects them if they go wrong. Everything they need is in the household. This is a different arrangement to what we have today where the child can be at home and they're just doing their own thing, right? No, this is like, you are there, you, this is, you are owned. Not just, you don't have to be born in that household. If you are the servant, pretty much, slow and key as it were. The master looks after you and you delight in that. Their identity is wrapped up in the master. And the psalmist here is saying to God, this is who you are to us. We are looking to you because we are yours. That's one illustration, master, servant. The second illustration is that God is like the mistress and our maid servant. Look at that in verse 2. Behold, as the eyes of a servant look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid servant to the hand of our mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord, our God, till he has mercy upon us. Now, in general, the mistress and the master performed more or less the same roles. It's like husband and wife, right? More or less the same roles. One is sort of a They're equal partners. And they're caring together for the household. So we may look at this illustration as why well as the psalmist used two images here. Perhaps it's just for emphasis, to emphasize the point. God cares for you double, we might say. Don't miss it. Or perhaps um, the, image, the, the two images are here as the image of God in humanity. Male and female, we normally say, don't we, in the scriptures, that the image of God really is seen when the man and the woman are bound together in marriage. Together, man and woman are the image of God, scripturally speaking. So the complete 
male and female image, and just the Lord just emphasizing that. Perhaps that's what the, 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 the Lord, by his inspiration through the psalmist, is speaking. And maybe God has inspired the psalmist just to make the point that he has no gender, right? right? So he's neither male nor female, he's God, right? Maybe that's why we have these opposite illustrations here. It's quite possible. I think, without taking away from those, I think the reason why we have that here, I think it is more likely that the mistress portrait is meant to add to the gallery of God's character. And he's adding something special, which is his attention to the detail of our lives. If you like, in the ancient home, the master cares about the big picture. Right? He cares about the big picture of the house. He wants to ensure everything is running in general okay. But the mistress really is the one who runs the household, isn't it? It's the same thing in our homes, isn't it? Dad, of course, has overall responsibility, but when I was growing up, if you wanted money, actually, don't go to your dad. Don't go to dad. You're not going to get far. Go to the mom. She got to, I went to my mother because she knew the precise detail. Well, she knew what the, where the money was, right? So, so uh, the, the, the father may be responsible, but the mother, of course, of the household knows the details. And perhaps the tenderness there, the compassion that a mother brings to the picture. All of that is wrapped up, isn't it? Uh, the, the, the miss, if you like, here, the, the psalmist is telling us, is, is telling God, we are looking to you because you care for us in general and in detail. And you care with, for us with tender mercies. So we are coming to you. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of a mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. So they are crying out for mercy to this God who cares about the general and the detail. What is mercy? Well, the mercy of God is his deep compassion and care for those in terrible state. It is his powerful inclination to help our suffering and distress. Now, all human beings are made in the image of God. So all of us have some capacity to show mercy towards others. We see it when tragedy happens, isn't it? We see people moved to mercy during tragedies. But you see, when we compare our mercy, right, with God's mercy, our mercy really is a form of cruelty to one another compared to God. It is so infinitely distant from God's mercy. You see, God not only cares about our distress, he, he does something about that. He doesn't just say, my condolences. He walks over and raises the dead, if he wants to. It is a doing mercy. And as we read earlier in 2 Corinthians, God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. God is merciful, of course, to all his creatures. Why? Because he provides and cares for them as his own, even as they are fallen creatures. Even though the world deserves to be burned up, God still sustains it with his mercy and grace. So there's a general mercy to how God relates to us. But on top of that general mercy, God gives special mercy to his covenant people. 
those he has bound himself to, those he calls his household. And this is the mercy that the psalmist is talking about here. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us as your covenant people. And the good news of the Bible is that, as we were reminded last week when we were looking at Psalm 122, and as I said earlier, the church of God in Jesus are now the people of God. And so everything the psalmist is describing about the relationship of God to Israel as our merciful God is true for us in Jesus Christ. We read this, if you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 10, the Apostle Peter makes this very point there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter there, of course, is using language from the Old Testament book of Exodus, which he now applied, which God, of course, there applied to Israel, but is now applying it to us today who truly belong in, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is saying, God in Jesus has dealt with your sin. Through Jesus, you have now a new covenant. You now enjoy the boundless mercy of God. You have received God's mercy. You are in the kingdom of mercy. If, if you have truly repented of your sin and are trusting in Jesus this morning, you are now forgiven, loved, and welcomed into the, this glorious kingdom of mercy forever. You have received mercy. And the question we have to ask is, what difference does this make when people look down on us? Well, two big differences, I think. First of all, it does not matter whether people look down on you. If you're in Jesus, it doesn't matter whether people look down on you. Your identity has now changed. If the world looks down on you, they're just looking down on the master who has purchased you by his own precious blood. You see, what ultimately matters is not how the world looks at you. What matters is how God looks at you. We want to know, does our friend think we're it? Well, we should be asking, does God think I am it? What does God make of me? What does God see when he looks at me? And the answer of the Bible is that if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're truly repented, and have surrendered your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then all your sin, past, present, and future have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. 
The death of Jesus has dressed you in the garments of righteousness. God is now your heavenly father. He genuinely loves you. And he is fond of you. And, and you are his own precious child bought with the blood of Jesus. The Lord Jesus is now your king, your brother and friend. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And no matter what life brings, Jesus is always with you. Now and to the end of the age. And beyond the end of the age. For eternity. And so as we look at this passage, we realize that there is no need for us to retaliate when the world looks at us. There is no need for us to try and fit in if we are in Christ. There is no need for us to look inward. No, we must look up and see him there who made an end of our sin. We must look up to the mercy of God to look after us. So the first difference it makes is that it doesn't matter. The mercy of God says it doesn't matter how the world looks at you. The second difference this truth makes is this. We can now approach the throne of God with confidence. We can ask him for any mercy we need today. Because there's now no barrier between us and God. In Christ, we are already living in the merciful and powerful presence of God. So let us go to him. That's what the psalmist is encouraging us. We must look up to God, you see, because he is God alone who can help us. And in Jesus, we have his mercy. So that's the first point, isn't it? And we've taken some time to explain that. We'll try and move a bit quick on the second point. The first point is that we must look up to God alone. Because God is our merciful and caring master. The second, the question then that arises from that is, how do we do that in practice? Well, that's the second point. It helps us, doesn't it? How do we do that? Well, we must look up to God actively. And I'll try and be brief here. We must look up to God actively. The Psalms are practical, aren't they? We've been reminding ourselves of this. They take the truth from our head to our arms, legs, and feet. They get us doing. They get us acting. They get us active. They are not just here to, 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 to dish theological truths at us. They want us to do things. And one of the ways the Psalms do this is by the psalmists themselves offering themselves as examples for us on how we should relate to God. And as we look at this psalm, I just want to flag up three things we learn from the psalmist here about how we should look up to God in practice. The first thing is we must look up to God candidly. Now that sounds like a difficult word, doesn't it, for some? Uh, it just means honestly. Honestly, we must look up to God candidly. The psalmist here is honest. Look at verse 3 to 4 again. Just have a feel for his honesty there. He says, have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease. Of the scorn of the proud. You know, the psalmist is honest before God. He's pouring out his pain before God. And as we, as we pray this psalm, we should do the same, isn't it? We should come to this psalm asking ourselves uh, personal questions, isn't it? 
Has someone been mean to you? Do you feel people are looking down at you at your place of work uh, because of your background or your socioeconomic background or your race? Perhaps you are in some position of responsibility. Are you hearing some painful back chatter, as it were? You know the sort. He does not know what he's doing. Or worse, I can't stand him. Or I can't stand her. Or perhaps you are single and you have relatives and they're saying things, passing those subliminal comments. When is she going to get married? When is he going to get married? What's wrong with him? That kind of thing. Or maybe the scorn and contempt is historic. Many parents have told their children that they will never amount to anything. And as we grow up 20 years later, that can cut to our hearts, isn't it? There are many situations we find ourselves that can be crushing. And of course, we, as we talk about feeling looked down upon, we have to remember that sometimes we can feel that the world is looking down on us without the world actually looking down on us. That's so important we understand that. Sometimes it's just in our heads. But whatever the situation, whether it's just in your head or it's really happening to you, do not keep the pain inside. Go to Jesus honestly. Pour out your heart to him. That's what the psalmist is encouraging us here. Our Lord Jesus wants you to go to him because he knows firsthand the pain of contempt and scorn. He suffered it all the way to the cross. When we were doing Mark 15, we saw that, isn't it? Of how shamefully he was treated. So Jesus knows your pain as God and as a man, perfect man, he put on our skin to minister to us in our pain. So we have such a perfect and complete Savior. Why hold on to the pain to ourselves? Let us go to Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. So that's the first thing. Let's go to Jesus. Look up to God candidly. The second thing the psalmist, I think, is encouraging us here is that we must look up to God confidently. They all start with C. Candidly, look up to God then confidently. Look at this. Look at the confidence of verse 2. Behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of the maid servant to the hand of our mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Do you sense the expectancy there, isn't it? He's on tenterhooks like a servant with his master. When I thought about this verse, the image that came to our mind, to my mind, is that of a waiter in a restaurant. With a customer, a good restaurant, of course. The waiter looks, not Nando's, they don't do this. The waiter looks, looks out for a customer to those posh restaurants that Brother Ola uh, has been to, the Reese or something. So you are, the, the, you know, you, the, the, the waiter is just there waiting, checking up on you all the time. Are you okay? That kind of thing, right? It's that sort of thing. They're waiting for the signal. They know you're there to spend the cash, and any signal, they'll come there. Well, we should be like the waiter with the Lord. We must anticipate him at any moment to raise his hand of providence. That's how expectant we should be when we go to him for help. The psalmist is encouraging us, be expectant. 
The servant expects help from the master. The maid servant expects help from the mistress. We must be confident in whatever situation we are facing. Not just when people look down on us. Whatever issue we are facing, let's go to God. And let us be confident in asking God. But can I just say one thing here? For us to grow in confidence that God will hear our requests, we need to ensure that we are not living in a way that doesn't look down on others. And repentant sin erodes our confidence in God. Yes, God is merciful, but he's also holy. Continuous sin weakens our prayers before God. Especially if we're doing the same offense we want God to protect us from, right? We want God to protect us from the world looking down on us, right? But how can we look to God for protection if we ourselves are looking down on others? If we look down on others, how can we confidently look up to God? So part of us looking to God confidently means examining your life. And confessing any areas where you're prone to look down on others. Who are you currently looking down on? You say, I have no idea, child. What are you talking about? <laughs> right? Well, can I suggest, first of all, you review your social media feed. You know, the government has hooked us up now to the greed, hasn't it? All of us, we're spending more time on the internet. What's that? Well, for, for Sam, Brother Mike was wondering, what is our internet? No, I mean, <laughs> the, the point is that most of us are online, aren't we? Especially the young, right? Well, let's review our social media feed. What are we posting there? Can I also suggest that you think about some of your recent comments about public figures? Can I suggest you start with Mr. Matt Hancock, what you've been thinking and saying about him? Or Mr. Johnson, I had to examine myself on this one. Can I ask that you think about what you've been saying about Mr. Great Reset, Close Schwab, recently. That's a, that's a sin I had to confess as I, as I was preparing this sermon. Can I suggest that we examine our sinful attitude to those we disagree with? The LGBTQ, the woke brigade, and liberal churches who infuriate us. We are standing on strong biblical grounds, yes, but sin often gets in the way. Can I suggest we really ask ourselves whether we are sinfully, whether we are sinfully engaging in scorn against those who smear our names or have smeared our names in the past? Let us be honest with ourselves, beloved. It is extremely hard to disagree with people without looking down on them. I think if we start from that assumption, then we can start with repentance before God. It is very hard. So I believe this is an area many of us stumble in so many different ways. And we need to examine our hearts and repent before God. And ask the Lord Jesus to help us to disagree in a way that does not look down on the individual themselves. By all means, let's disagree. we must disagree with their sin. But even as we do that, let us maintain the human dignity that they have. And again, our Lord Jesus is more than able to help us here because when he faced our scorn and our contempt, our scorn and our contempt, 
He never demeaned us as individuals. He never looked down on his tormentors. If anything, he said on the cross, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And now our Lord Jesus, as we are reminded in the Bible study, stands as our high priest in heaven, forever interceding for us. Always praying to the Father for us. So let us go to him for help. To share areas where we are struggling in terms of how we look down on others. But also ask him to give us this confidence to go to him in prayer. The final thing, briefly. So we must go to God candidly, confidently. And finally, let us go to God continuously, continuously. Look at verse 2 again. We shouldn't miss this. Behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the end of their master, as the eyes of the maid servant to the hand of our mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Don't miss that. The psalmist is persevering going to God until God intervenes. He's not giving up. In fact, in this psalm, we haven't got an answer yet. He keeps going. He keeps going until God answers. Whatever situation, it keeps going. And we must do the same. Keep going back to God. Keep looking to the Lord Jesus. Whatever situation you're praying about. If the Lord has led the burden, keep going. Yes, it's taken years. Perhaps God doesn't look like he's answering. Perhaps the issue you're talking about is even getting worse. Keep going to Jesus. Keep seeking his mercy. Keep remembering that you are already in the kingdom of mercy. Let us persevere in crying out to God. And I just say, not just for yourself... The psalmist here notice he's praying for his people as well. So let us endure on our knees before God for the church, not just for your personal problem. The world never stops looking down on us. And we need to persevere in looking to God for ourselves, our church, and our human family. When people look down on us, we must look up to God alone. Let us look to our merciful God candidly, confidently, and continuously. Amen.